Hi folks, it's uh, good to have you join us here at Kirkliston Parish Church's podcast. It uh, remains a joy and a privilege to know that some of you <laughs> are actually listening to this. Um, and for various reasons, you are unable to join us this week for worship in the Kirk or at the Centre. Um, many of you might take the weekend off or you're away because it Ultimately, it is the school holidays, and um, we so appreciate the fact that you still form part of our fellowship by checking in and uh, following up through and with this podcast. So this week, we are looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ in Matthew 17. And it's quite weird because when we hear the word transfiguration, there might be a flood of different ideas and concepts that come into mind. And um, they're not all necessarily positive from your uh, frame of work. And so when we think of transfiguration, we need to remember that it stems from the Greek word metamorphosis, which obviously we get the word um, change and altercation um, and possibly a new beginning. So for Jesus, it is exactly that thing um, that we'll look into today from his word and specifically from the gospel of Matthew. So let's just pause for a few moments as we thank God for this day and for this moment. Father, we thank you that you are here with us, that your spirit continues to dwell inside of us, pointing out shortcomings and blind spots that we might have. So help us to be brave and to confront these things within that need addressing, that needs to change. And in the same way that you were glorified, we know that we too one day will be glorified. So help us already now to become more and more like you through body, mind, soul, and spirit. Amen. So let's read from Matthew 17, if you are able to follow. Um, If not, you're more than welcome just to listen to this reading, and it's from the New International Version. The heading there is, quite fitting, the Transfiguration. And it's just the first nine verses from Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Amen. This is the Word of God. 
let's be frank. The story is a bit weird and bizarre. Even the word transfiguration is one we seldomly use outside this context. It's either very important or not at all. And I'd argue for the former. Think about it. Jesus goes up on a mountain, a high mountain, the passage says, with three friends and meets two dead prophets, Moses and Elijah, all while glowing in the dark. Like every story in Matthew's gospel, this one focuses on Jesus and is meant to tell us something about him. So what does the transfiguration tell us about Jesus? I would like to argue for three things today. Firstly, it says that the Son of Man came in glory. Secondly, the Son of Man's glory was hidden. And thirdly, the Son of Man we should gloriously listen to. So let's look at the first one. He came in glory. If um, you are able to, I would encourage you to look up an artist called Andre Rublev, a Byzantine artist. And he made a quite a poignant piece of art of the transfiguration that he finished in 1405 and at the back it is yellow filled with yellow warm colors radiating the light of God being engulfed in it and at the top you will see Jesus with Moses on his right and Elijah on his left and then the three figures of Peter James and John totally overwhelmed at the bottom and the way they respond with fear to the transfiguration. So yeah, think for a moment how incredible that must have been. To see the mystery of Christ revealed in a single moment. The transfiguration is a preview of the future when the Son of Man will come in glory to achieve His kingdom. But this kingdom can only come through His death and resurrection. Which is why Jesus warns the three disciples to tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And there's a, a company called Velux, I think it's a Danish company, who do these sunroofs. And um, they've got quite a fitting advert that's been running around, not on telly, but on, on YouTube. And I would like to just briefly try and describe to you what happens in this minute-long advert a few characters stand in their house and then a select few envision the windows being installed. And for them, the light shines through the window and it illuminates and brightens up a room. But for a few others who are unable to see the potential that lies within a dark room, it makes absolutely no sense. And in the background, there's a song that plays with these lyrics. It's a good enough day to love. Though the sun may not be bright, we will look inside our soul. There's light. It's a good enough day to love. Friends, sometimes we long for others to see the things we have seen God do. His light shining all around us and inside of us. But our actions and deeds seems like foolishness to the world. Maybe our generosity and servanthood and forgiveness. For our eyes have seen and our ears have heard the glories of God. So that's the first thing. The Son of God came to be exalted. And not in the way that we thought he would be, but on a cross. Secondly, his glory was hidden. Velux, this window company, has a marketing slogan. 
bringing light to life. And that could have been any church's mantra. Bringing hope and darkness, or bringing hope and light into darkness. That's what Elijah and Moses brought with their presence. Both men had famous mountaintop experiences with God. And you can look up Exodus 24 verse 9 to chapter 34 verse 35. Or you can look at the experience Elijah had meeting God in the cleft of a cave in 1 Kings 19. Moses' was especially relevant since it resulted in his own transfiguration with his face shining so brightly that they had to cover it with a veil. But Jesus wasn't simply shining the way Moses had or the way you and I one day will according to Matthew 13 verse 43. His was more than a reflected glory. It was the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or as Joseph Ratzinger observed, Jesus shines from within. He does not simply receive the light like Moses, but he himself is light from light. The transfiguration was a glimpse behind the veil of the glory of Christ continued to possess, despite having hidden the glories from our God beneath the humble form of a servant. And then thirdly, it is an invitation to listen gloriously. To who? To Jesus. They were instructed to listen. They have seen, maybe even felt the warmth of the light. Now they had to only take a further step by not only listening but obeying. Why would they? Well, for two reasons. Firstly, Moses was now standing face to face with the very prophet he himself had predicted in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. That gave Jesus authority. Secondly, if that wasn't enough, God himself spoke again for only the second time in the Gospel of Matthew and almost verbatim. Maybe you recognize this. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. You remember that God also said that at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. But then there's this added part. This part that says, Listen to him. This is an all things sort of command. Why is it important? What was Peter's initial response? He really didn't want to listen, did he? He says, let's build these these, uh, three tents or these three booths, a wee shack. Let's be proactive. Let's do. Let's go about trying to define this moment. One commentary summarized it as follows. As Peter's experience served for us, we can become so fixated on what we offer God that we do not actually obey Him. His natural response to capture the moment, to almost domesticate it, to try and comprehend it, that's Peter. But here's the thing, and this is important. God does not care about our offerings when we are not living as an offering of righteousness, especially when what we are doing is hurting others. Peter, James and John during the very bright cloud are momentarily swallowed up in the presence of God. And as they hear God's message, they fall to the ground out of fear. It's not just any fear, it's the fright of their life. There is a word present here in the Greek that modifies fear, which is translated as overcome. So just to be clear, this is the highest extent of fear any of them have ever experienced. That is, as afraid as they can possibly be. 
And then God says, first imperative, first command, listen. Interestingly, the second command we find is, don't be afraid. And who says this? This is Jesus who speaks. Don't be afraid. How does Jesus respond to their fear? He came down, almost cautiously, probably stooping down, a light hand on the shoulder to reassure them that all will be okay. Come, get up. Don't be afraid. You see, that's what, what God's glory is supposed to do for us and to us. It should create a deep sense of reverence and or a deep-rooted conviction that what we have here in front of us is holy and majestic, awe and deep respect, reverence. It should then bring us to our knees, at the very least. Maybe you've seen the pictures of the last few weeks at Asbury University, the revival or awakening that started last week Wednesday. A bunch of students were gathering for the usual chapel, and at the closing of the service, after the benediction, it spontaneously started. An outpouring of God's Spirit. One theological seminary professor said, We started to witness a surprising work of God. Students started to praise and worship in earnestness after the closing hymn. They were struck by what seemed to be quite powerful sense of God's transcendence, and they did not want to go home. They stayed and continued to worship for days. From what I heard, it's still going on. People were confessing their sins, repenting, interceding for healing, wholeness, peace, and justice, all whilst the Holy Spirit were moving amongst them. Christianity Today, an online magazine, reported on this event, saying many people say that in the chapel they hardly even realized how much time had elapsed. It's as if Almost as though time and eternity blurred together as heaven and earth meet. Anyone who has witnessed it can agree that something unusual and unscripted is happening. An awakening. Maybe that's something of the wonder of what Peter, John and James experienced in God's glorious presence. It's one of the few times that the disciples seem to understand something quickly and easily. It's as if Though witnessing the transfiguration and being ministered to by both God the Father and His Son Jesus has given them eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand what Jesus is saying. It was scripted. No, it wasn't scripted. No one could predict it. It all happened very suddenly, without warning, like most revivals, like the resignation of a first minister. The Greek word edao appears three times in our passage, and it means suddenly. Moses and Elijah appear edao, suddenly. A bright light and a cloud fills the space suddenly. The Father's voice is heard from the cloud. Want to take a guess? Edao, suddenly. It's as if the best, most awe-inspiring encounters with God are unplanned and unscripted. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to be surprised by God's glory? Have you been surprised? Maybe you can recall a moment like that. I'm sure many of us can. Where God kind of just interceded and broke through. And heaven was made known here on earth. 
Let's be open to surprise, friends. Are we possibly sometimes too prescriptive, not allowing ourselves to be pushed beyond our norms of what's comfortable? Are we sometimes in the presence of our glorious God without realizing it? Maybe it's time we pull the veil off our own eyes to experience Him in fullness. Lastly, in conclusion, someone said the transfiguration is like a prism, not a prison, a prism through which we can see the multifaceted glory of Jesus. In it, we see a picture of His unique authority. In it, we get a glimpse of the eternal glory He had veiled. And in it, we are given a preview of what our lives will be like on that final mountain where we'll all be transfigured, where His glory will provide all the light we need. It's when we listen to the word of Jesus, including when that word comes through any number of Jesus' latter-day followers, that we start to see the glory we too often miss. His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became dazzling white. Jesus was changed and transformed. How much more should we allow him to touch and change us more into his likeness? Transfiguration is not magic, but the destiny of all creation in Christ. To be transformed and filled with a divine light. So, is the transfiguration important to our faith? A resounding yes. Our encounter with Jesus should leave the church a transfigured, community. The disciples cannot return to the same world as they descend from on that mount because they have been changed in the same way that you have been changed and will continue to be changed. May that be true for you today and in this week to come. Amen. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on you forevermore. Amen.